All right, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3 tonight. Get out your Bibles and turn there with me. Uh, good to be here and good to see you here this evening. Hope everybody is, is doing well. Um, so we've been studying through the book of Daniel and learning a lot about uh, these young men who have been taken away into captivity into uh, the city of Babylon. Uh, so as we go through these stories, a lot of these stories are familiar to us. We know the stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but still there's a lot of value in, in going back over these things and thinking about some of the very practical applications that go along with these different stories. Uh, we've studied, we've learned about how Daniel and his friends resisted the, the call to conform, to assimilate, to be like everybody else in Babylon, that that was... The goal, that was the mission of Nebuchadnezzar, was to take these young, impressionable men and to make them Babylonians, even though they are from different places. All these young, wise, noble men from all these different places were supposed to come together, and they were supposed to become Babylonians. Then we learned last time about a dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, and Daniel is able to uh, interpret the dream, tell him the dream, what the dream is, and to interpret the dream. And if you remember, the dream was from God, a, 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 an explanation of the future, a description of the kingdoms of earth that are going to take place over the next hundreds of years, four, five, six hundred years. <coughs> it's already started. Uh, over the next four, five, six hundred years, there's going to be nations that rise up after nation. And God says he's going to establish an eternal kingdom during the time of that fourth kingdom. Uh, and so as, as we read through that, we notice how Nebuchadnezzar appeared to be recognizing this is, this is really a powerful God of Daniel. And he gave him praise. <coughs> I'm ready. All right. Uh, so I don't know what it is. I don't know why on Sunday nights I get a tickle, but I drank lots of water today. I was like, I got, it must be my vocal cords. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so Daniel appears to have had an impact on the king and Daniel has risen in stature. He seems to be uh, one of the major influences on the king now. He's going to be in the king's court all the time and he set up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're going to be over all the province of Babylon. But as we study and we think about this, I mean, this it's not as though the city of Babylon has become a Jewish nation or submitted to God fully. Uh, so, so we might fool ourselves into thinking, oh, cool, Nebuchadnezzar believes in God now. No, Nebuchadnezzar believes that the God of Israel is one of many gods still. Uh, he doesn't quite understand the concept or the fact that the God of Daniel is the one true living God. Uh, so overall, as we go through these stories, we're going to see more and more unfold about Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to understand that the process of Nebuchadnezzar really believing is a very slow process. Uh, and you, you and I probably, we can relate to that, right? I mean, there's a lot of people around us who might claim that they believe in God, uh, but they're not really fully convicted or convinced about God. Uh, and so Nebuchadnezzar's in one of those camps. He's seen some things, you know, that make him believe, oh yeah, this, there, there, might, there might be a God that really exists, and he, he might be really powerful, um, but yet they're not really fully committed to that God. 
Uh, and so we see that especially brought out as we study into chapter 3. Uh, we're going to notice and, and see how his, his boldness and his arrogance is still intact and how he really doesn't grasp this whole idea of, of who God really is. But also as we look at this, we're going to see the men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, really step up their game and really show that they're not willing to make compromises and that they're going to remain faithful even though they're in this very wicked and evil society. Okay, so let's, let's dig in. Um, chapter 3, verse 1. We'll start reading the first seven verses. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on, a, on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. As we read this and we, we're... we're Learning this story, probably the thing that stands out to everybody is, wow, that's really repetitious, right? I mean, you just hear me read all that aloud, and it's just like, okay, that, that's, a, that's enough of that. Um, but yeah, there's this repetition throughout this, but what's being said here is, is amazing. Uh, and it's even more amazing whenever you take into account what was said in just the last chapter. Uh, notice King Nebuchadnezzar is, is, is setting up a golden image that is 90 feet tall. It's huge, okay? And it's made of gold, or at least the outside is coated with gold, right? But all gold. Now, do you remember what we just learned about in the last chapter last week? Do you remember that God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream? And in that dream, there was a big image that was terrifying to Nebuchadnezzar. Well, what was that image made of? Well, it was made of gold on the head, and that was Babylon, according to uh, Daniel, but then also silver and then bronze and then iron mixed with clay, right? So apparently Nebuchadnezzar felt like God's vision for the future needed some alterations. And so he decided to set up his own image, which was not made of multiple materials to represent multiple kingdoms, but was an image of solid gold, making this very uh, bizarre claim, audacious claim that the kingdom of Babylon will endure forever. It is the eternal kingdom. It seems as me to me that that's, that's, that's what's being implied here, is that 
He has, he has set himself up as being the king of the kingdom. And so there's a lot of arrogance and pride in Nebuchadnezzar as he builds this big monument to himself and to his greatness and all that he's accomplished. And he just says, you know, look at me. And, and he wants everybody to, to come to the city from all the provinces across the area, all the governors and all the satraps and the treasurers and the counselors and everybody everywhere. Everybody's got to come. And so there's this huge shindig where everybody who's anybody shows up, right? All of these are the most prominent people in the land. And they're all being brought together to witness the, the dedication of this beautiful statue that's 90 feet tall and made of solid gold. And as they all gather, you could just picture them all piling in the streets and coming to see this beautiful golden image. A herald sounds out the cry, a demand. Whenever you hear that music play, you better bow down. Because if you don't, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Wow. Wow. Okay, it was all, you know, really interesting and really fun. And then all of a sudden, the tone seems to change. And there's this profound declaration that anybody who does not bow down and worship this idol at this moment will be killed in a fiery furnace. Now, as you read through this, it's important to understand that he's not just calling for people to submit to him, right? I mean, realistically, everybody who's there, they're, they're submitting to the king. They're, they're his governors. They're, his, they're, the, they're the people who are running the nation for him. And they're coming and they're willing to do whatever the king says. And, and they'll be completely obedient to the king. But what the king is wanting is for all of these people from all of these different languages and nations and customs and cultures all of these people to be united under his kingdom. He wants his kingdom to be the eternal kingdom. He wants his kingdom to be the greatest of all the kingdoms that have ever ruled on the earth. And so he's not just trying to get them to obey a command, but he's trying to get them to bow down in worship, in adoration, in love. This is becoming more personal. This is becoming more, uh, it, it, more deep than just surface-level obedience. He's desiring for all the people everywhere to unite under his power and authority and to basically say what he set up in chapter 1. We are all Babylonians here. We are all worshiping and serving this great God, and we are completely submitting our lives to the king. So all of this is really fascinating but it gets even better as we read on as you know the story starting in verse 8 it says therefore at that time certain chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the jews they declared to king nebuchadnezzar o king live forever you o king have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews 
whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? (coughs) Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the golden image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Mm. Do you feel the tension? I mean, you just imagine all of this unfolding, right? Imagine the scene. You're, you're there among thousands in the city of Babylon, there's rejoicing going on, there's, there's enjoyment going on, and these three guys are over the province of Babylon. They are probably the organizers of all of these things and trying to, uh, you know, make sure that everything's going the way that it's supposed to go and every, all soldiers are where they're supposed to be, and they've done a lot probably of work to set all this up. And then the decree comes out and it says, if you don't bow down, you're going to be thrown into the fire. Now, these men are leaders, right? And, and they're the ones who have kind of organized and orchestrated a lot of this stuff. And there's all these other people there that are their peers, that are men who are rulers in, in throughout all the region of Babylon. And these guys are, are probably pretty hungry for power, and they probably all desire and covet the position of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, these guys have the best of the jobs of all these people. These guys are higher than any of them. They're over the province of Babylon. I mean, where else could you be that would be greater than over the province of Babylon? And these men are given all this responsibility, but then told, you must bow down and worship this golden image or else you'll be thrown into the fire. And they don't. They don't. All three of them. I don't know where Daniel is. It's kind of a question I have to, if you're wondering. I don't know where he is or uh, why he's not added into the mix. Maybe because he didn't have people who were malicious, who were watching him closely. Uh, and that seems to have been some maybe alternate motives going on here, right? These are Chaldeans who are looking at Jews who are over their city. So maybe a little jealousy going on here and and the the motive of these people. But notice Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, don't appear to be defiant. They're not appearing to try to make a scene or make a stand. They're not trying to proclaim the fact that 
we're not bowing down to such things, and they're not proudly, arrogantly defying the, the command of the king. They're probably submitting to the king in as many different ways as they possibly can, to the detriment of themselves, to the humiliation of themselves. They probably are submitting to the commands of the king and doing whatever it is that he wants them to do, even if it's uncomfortable, even if they don't like it very much, even if it's different from something they've always done. They're probably submitting to and, and following the commands of the king in so many different ways to a point where it's probably annoying to all those Chaldeans and all those other people who want to break the king's laws. But they are refusing, in this instance, to bow down and worship this image. So those guys see them, because they were watching, and they bring these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they bring him, they bring them all before the king, and they say, these guys refused to bow down. The king's upset. But in all of his anger, he says, I'm going to be gracious to you. I'm going to give you another chance. Maybe he senses the malicious nature of these accusations and the jealousy among those Chaldeans. He says, I'm going to give you another chance. And we're going to play all that music again. And you guys just bow down and this will all be over and it won't be a big deal. Can you imagine? Not once, but twice you're being called to make this kind of a decision. And not now in front of all those who are your peers, but now before your superior, you're being asked to bow down. Well, the words of these men stun and infuriate the king. I'm sure they stunned everybody else who was there. Maybe it didn't infuriate them. They were probably inside full of glee, you know, licking their chops, waiting for the opportunity to be over the province of Babylon. But these words were coming out of the mouths of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. First of all, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. They don't even, it appears, they don't even allow the music procession to go on. They kind of stop Nebuchadnezzar where he's at, and they just say, oh, King, we don't need to defend ourselves on this matter. Okay? We're not going to do it. It ain't happening. Can you imagine the amount of conviction that is inside of these men? The amount of confidence that they had that they would be willing to make a stand like this to defy the king who has conquered their land and has set them up in the highest position. So on one hand, he's shown his power, and on another hand, shown his grace and his mercy to give them such a wonderful position in his kingdom. And that they would be willing to go against all of that so confidently and so boldly to say, we don't need to defend ourselves. We don't need to say why, you know, why this is okay and why we're, we're choosing not to do this. We're just not going to do it. And they say, God is able to deliver us. And Nebuchadnezzar had said, what God is able to deliver you? They say, God is able. God is able to deliver us. And so there's this very clear statement from, from these guys that, Nebuchadnezzar, it doesn't matter what you do. You are not powerful enough to overturn the will of God. If God wills that we will be delivered, then we will be delivered and you can't stop him. Can you imagine that being said to you as king, 
after you have defied God and, and built up this image saying, I don't care what God says, this is going to be the way it is, that some uh, guys who are your subordinates are going to come up to you and say, it doesn't matter what you say, God's will is going to be done to defy you. But what's really amazing is what they say after these defiant words. God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't. You see, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah weren't given reassurance that this is going to work out for them. You know, God didn't say, this is the way that I'm going to deal with you guys. Since y'all are in such a high position, I'm going to make sure that nothing ever happens to you. I'm going to make sure that you live to nice, old, ripe ages and have wonderful lives with your wives and well, they're eunuchs, so there's no wives to be had. But I'm going to make sure you have wonderful lives of prosperity and everything's going to go well for you. No, there was no promise like that. And so all the blessings that they had enjoyed, they could have easily took as, well, God obviously wants me here. He wants me to keep living. So all I need to do is just give in to the king and, and bow down in this case. And then I can go back to doing whatever it is that God wants me to do. But they don't think that way. They don't make compromises here. They don't, they don't change their tune. They stick to what they know. And what they know is God has said, do not bow down to foreign images, to foreign idols. And they've stayed true to not eating unclean foods. And now they've stayed true to not bowing down before these idols. And they know and they believe that if God wants to, he can save them from the hand of this king. But they also know that if he doesn't want to, he doesn't have to. And they're okay with that. Isn't there quite a few lessons for us to learn in that little statement, even if he does not, even if he doesn't deliver us, we're not going to do whatever it is that you want us to do. I mean, how many times in our lives have we made decisions and we've said, it doesn't matter what God decides to do, whether he decides to somehow bring this about in my favor or not, I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do, and I'm not going to do whatever the world wants me to do. How many times in our lives do we run into situations where we have to make those kinds of decisions? How many times do we notice that we're in those situations? And how many times are we ready to make the right decision at that moment? We all face those critical moments kind of rarely, but we do face them from time to time. And we have to make a decision. And our decision needs to be based not on, like what Job said, it's not about the fact that you've given me so much. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I'll return. But it's just, blessed be the name of the Lord. It's this recognition that it's all about God being glorified, whether I'm happy and enjoying life and everything goes well for me or not. My life's about God being glorified because I understand the blessings I've come have come from him. Well, what happens is amazing. This is uh, pretty much the rest of the chapter, so let's read through this. Verse 19. <clears throat> then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. 
And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then the king was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to the counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nations, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So as we look through this final session, you notice the king is infuriated, turns up that oven, seven times what it normally is, and he's so emphatic about it that he, he, he allows his, some of his main soldiers to go and to throw the men in, and they catch fire, and they die. And so all of this is, is indicating to us that his glorious and his rebellious day has just been completely ruined. I mean, he had all these wonderful plans for the day, but in his pride, in his arrogance, he desired for everybody to bow down and worship him, these stubborn Jews refused, and now he's angry, and he's got to throw them in the furnace, and they were over his province, and so he gets, he gets so mad, he heats everything up, kills his soldiers, and everybody, I imagine, just goes about their business expecting these guys are probably done as soon as they're thrown in, but they're there in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar had sat down. Apparently, he was uh, taking a break from all his furious rage that he had and taking a deep breath, and he looks, and he can't believe his eyes. So he asks his friends, didn't we, didn't we throw in three men? And they say, yeah. And he says, I see four standing in the fire. Notice as you read through this, the amazing part, that God doesn't just deliver them, but God goes into the fire with them. Isn't that cool? He goes into the fire with them. He's there 
and he's providing for them. Whenever they come out of the fire, it's apparent that they were untouched by the fire. The only thing that was burned in the fire belonged to Nebuchadnezzar, his soldiers, and whatever ropes or whatever chains they were using to bind these men. They're gone. But these men, not a hair of their head is touched. Their cloaks, their tunics, everything is untouched. It says they don't even smell like smoke. If you know the smell of smoke, you know the smell of barbecue. I mean, you can't walk out of a barbecue place without smelling like barbecue, right? So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's everywhere, and it gets all over you, and you have to change clothes if you're really sensitive to that kind of stuff. They don't even smell like smoke. Because God is able to not just deliver them, but deliver them completely. He can make it to where they're completely unfazed, completely untouched by all of those fires and by all of that destructive force. What does all of this mean for us? Amazing story, right? You read through this and it's just mind-blowing. And the way it's all unfolding is just so exciting and so interesting. But what is the application? What, is, what are we learning about all of this? Well, hopefully we're learning a very important message that goes into the New Testament our faith can have a huge impact. If our faith is great, it can have a tremendous impact on the world around us. Not only did Nebuchadnezzar witness this, but all those leaders and satraps, they were all blown away by these guys who were willing to stand. And, and they were just probably completely thinking, these guys are foolish. Who do they think they are? And for them to say, our God can deliver us, they're probably snickering and saying, yeah, right, good luck with that. No way. No God can deliver you. They probably, in their education, don't even believe that these gods are that real. But everybody's watching. And everybody sees. As these men are mistreated and delivered. As we go through different tests of our faith, people are watching. They're paying attention to how we handle our tests. They're seeing if we bow down to the pressure or if we're going to stand with God. They're paying close attention and, and maybe they're, they're hoping that we'll fall so that they can feel better about themselves. They're hoping that we'll compromise because they've lived a life of compromise. But these men, they never compromised. Their lives were about uncompromised. Their lives are about submission. Their lives are about devotion to God. And in every way possible, it seems as though they were living their lives devoted to God. They didn't compromise on the little things. As they went throughout their day and they ate food, they thought about God and what God wanted them to eat or not eat. I mean, every decision throughout their day probably revolved around what would God want me to do in this situation. And so as we think about what this means to us, we need to understand if we're going to face those moments of tests of our faith and we're going to be ready, we need to be doing what they were doing to prepare them for that day. I don't imagine that, that any of these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, really woke up that day expecting for this decree to be made for them. But if they were expected, if they knew that was happening because they had everything set up, they had the willpower, they had the strength from all the obedience, all the faithfulness that they had followed through on throughout their life to stand together 
and to do what's right. We have to have that same daily practice of submission to God. Our walk every single day needs to be submitting to God so that whenever that pressure comes on, we're ready for it. And then maybe it's a small pressure. It's no big deal, but we're not going to compromise on that. You know, we could choose to compromise here and we could justify it and we could say, well, everybody else is doing it. It's interesting how whenever, you know, uh, we're kids, our parents say, well, if, if, if everybody jumped off a cliff, would you do that too? And, and we're just, you know, we're like, what? And now I'm a parent. I'm like, I'm, I'm saying that same kind of stuff. Like, would, would you do it if everybody else did it? I mean, come on. But as adults, don't we kind of do similar stuff? Don't we justify compromising because everybody else is doing it? That's just the way it's done. That's business as usual. Um, and, and we don't want to rock the boat. And we don't want to make people who've been gracious to us feel as though we're ungrateful. Or we don't want to make somebody angry with us and bring about punishment or suffering in some way. So there's little compromises that we face that are much similar to these guys. And if we're unwilling to stand on those little bitty compromises, we're, not, we're unwilling to stand for what's right on those little things, then when the big things come, what are we going to do? And I'll tell you, our culture is constantly pushing us to bow down and worship the image. And if you live in some parts of this country, it's very prevalent to the point where you could lose jobs like these guys would. Uh, and you could lose a lot in your life if you just bow down and worship. In other countries throughout our world, not far away, Canada, there's all kinds of issues like this where they're, they're commanding you speak the right language. You say you believe certain things about certain people. You accept their pronouns or something along those lines. And if you refuse, you could be thrown in jail for such things. So I don't know how far away any of that kind of stuff is in our, in our society. We live in the land of the free. We have freedom of speech. We have all these things that are guaranteed to us. But are we ready to live an uncompromised life? Are we, wait, are we ready to make a stand for what's true when the pressures are enormous? I mean, the, the pressure on these guys was extreme. Are we ready to go through that? Also, as you read through this, I think there's another really important thing that we learn from this. If we make the decision not to compromise, we can expect to be hated. You make a decision to go against the flow. You go against the grain. You do the things that God wants you to do while the world tells you you're supposed to be doing that. And then... You just persist in that, and, and you're righteous, and you're faithful, and you're doing the right things. And they're like, oh, we all do the wrong things. And you go up in society. People will hate you for that. And you'll face all kinds of criticism, and you'll face all kinds of backlash, just like these uh, young men did. And they'll be watching for you to stumble, and they'll be watching for you to fall. And I'll tell you what, I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want people watching me to fall. I'm, I'm the kind of person that whenever somebody's watching me, I, I fumble over myself. I make all kinds of blunders and all kinds of mistakes. I was a horrible basketball player because of that. Uh, but that's, that's kind of the way that we are, and we have to be ready for that, and we have to accept that. 
People are going to watch us and expect us to fall, and they're going to be looking for that. And they're going to take pleasure in seeing us make mistakes. But we need to be anchored in the promises of God, like these men were. Anchored in the promises of God. The, the hope that if, even if we've tripped up, even if we've made compromises, God is faithful, God is with us, God is going to help us, and we need to keep pressing on and trying to remove those compromises from our lives, trying to make those things right. And also, one thing that I think is a huge help that we see in this text that maybe we don't think about enough is that these guys had each other. They weren't doing this alone. They had a community that was faithful. They had brothers right there with them who were going through the same things, who were trying to be as faithful as they were. And they were talking to each other, and they were standing together and doing these hard things together. I think that's another thing that's really going to help us to get through whatever is in front of us. But what also is most amazing to me as we kind of close tonight is the fact that as we study this, it's another instance where they didn't do the big David miracle, right? They didn't go out and slay Goliath. They just said no when everybody else said yes. That's all they did. And that's what it took to shine a light for everybody to see. And God could work with that. Really, God's the one who worked, right? God's the one who made it very evident that he has the power to save, that he has the power to deliver. But all they had to do was say, I'm not going to do that. And stand by that decision, no matter what. And I hope that we can do the same thing. Pressures are mounting against us in so many different ways to conform to this world, conform to this society, to uh, pursue all kinds of passions, to pursue all kinds of uh, materialism and humanism and desires. There's all kinds of things that are being pushed on us. We have to say no. And that's, that's a light for people to see. And maybe there's other people around us who want to say no too. And we'll give them the courage to step up and stop compromising. Because as long as we compromise, the world around us is going to live in the dark. And we want them to come to the light and to see the light as, as we are walking in the light and trying to pursue the will of God in the word of God. And hopefully uh, we can continue to pursue that. Thank you so much for your attention tonight. I hope that these thoughts have been helpful for you as they've been to me. Uh, reading these kinds of stories kind of gets you fired up and gets you excited to go back out there and to make a stand for what's right. Wherever you're working at, wherever you're at school, whoever you're surrounded by, to stand for what's right in a very gentle and, and kind manner, not being defiant or overly you know, boastful about it, but just to stand for what's right and to believe what's right, knowing that your God can deliver you, and he will deliver you. And it may not be in this life, even if he doesn't do it in this life. You have to trust that he will deliver you in the end. And that's what we're all looking forward to very much. No matter what we go through in this life, if we've received the grace that he's offered to us, we have hope for eternal salvation waiting for us when this life is over. If you're here tonight and you've not yet received the grace of God, we want to encourage you and help you in any way, you can, any way we can. Uh, please let us know what you need. Please come as we stand and as we sing.